Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burnorangenation.com. Before we jump in today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton getting the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Google Podcasts, I guess I need to actually call it by the right name. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find it, wherever you like to get your audio, subscribe there, share this with your friends. We'd love to have you as part of the family. Now, one last thing I want to remind you of is our podcast host, Potty, and is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off their first three months of a premium membership there. All you got to do is go to Podiant, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. Again, you get a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. We know it's not your normal day to listen to us in your ear holes, but we took a little bit of a Christmas break, but we couldn't let the bowl game go on without a preview, so we are here with you on a Friday. Uh, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who is in Chip and Joanna Gaines' den currently recording, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Hey, man. Uh, I wish this house had a little shiplap in it. Sadly, my parents are as suburban as it comes, and I think this whole uh, every piece of equipment in here is uh, 2005 or later. But if we could uncover some wood floors or some shiplap, man, we would be in business in greater San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, so Kyle is back in our hometown, Shirts, Texas, Exit 175, North Countdown City, if you want to call it that. Uh, but we're going to bring you a little <laughs> bit of a Sugar Bowl Georgia Bulldogs preview. And then we've got a little bit of news for you today. Not a ton. We're going to focus primarily on the bowl game. That's why we're here. Give you a little something, something to listen to. Maybe as you're traveling to New Orleans for the game. Maybe you're just going to work on a Friday. That weird, like Friday, two days, work one day, and then have a day off situation. Whatever your situation is, we're with you to preview this bowl game. And then we'll bring you a recap next week after the game. So this on paper, it looks like a very lopsided matchup. Texas, as the Oklahoma Sooners beat out the Georgia Bulldogs for a shot at the college football playoff, Texas gets the number one spot or the number one pick from the uh, bowl selection process. So they end up in the Sugar Bowl facing the top SEC team that's not in the college football playoff, the Georgia Bulldogs, who lost and come from behind fashion, or I guess come from ahead fashion, against the Alabama Crimson Tide and Jalen Hurts, who's going to come up more than one time in today's show, weirdly enough. Uh, and so now Texas travels to New Orleans. They've picked out their gift suite. They've chosen between the flat screen and the recliner. They've done all that stuff. Now it's game time. So they're excited <laughs> for the game. So Kyle... Let's start with the Georgia offense because that yeah. to me is the scarier of the two aspects of this team, uh, which is weird to say that about an SEC team. But the running game, absolutely nuts. And then if the running game doesn't work, they've got a guy who's probably going to be in the Heisman running before he leaves, and he'll be a top NFL pick in Jake Fromm. So which 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 poison do we want to start with here? How are we going to pick our poison here? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, jumping with the offense, and uh, I mean, it's interesting, right? You said it's SEC. You wouldn't expect that that's the, the, the feared unit, but I mean, it, it points just mean more there this season. Um, and if you use the SEC point coefficient, and obviously that being – Everyone knows this, but one SEC point is a point and a half of Big 12 points and equal to three, or point and a half of Big 10 equal to three Big 12 points. Um, that makes that Georgia offense even even scarier um, based on the BCS inflation curve 
um, that again overrates all SEC teams. But if there's a team that is not overrated in that conference, um, I think Alabama is is adequately rated, and I think Georgia <laughs> might at this point in their season be underrated. Um, I think they are the second best team in the country. Um, I think you know if you if you look at um, our own SB Nation. Um, uh, kind of, of course, this is a affiliated Burn Orange Nation podcast. We're looking at our greater SB Nation, Bill Connolly, who's kind of a numbers guru. Um, he looks at, you know, advanced metrics, and, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time getting into his, but but I recommend everyone uh, go take a look at go take a look at the at the S and P Plus, which is kind of his his system. And I think it's interesting. It, it, I think it um, I think it shorts Texas a lot. Um, in you know, short Texas at your own peril, but I think there's some truth. In that, um, I think winning, just a a small caveat, winning games that Texas should win by more by a little bit hurts them in the overall ratings um, in the same way that some other things. Every system has its flaw. But anyways, Georgia sits at uh, third overall in the offensive uh, S&P Plus ranking. So, I mean, that's kind of scary to think. Of course, a Georgia defense is is chock full of of athletes um, is one thing, but then that that offense. Um, I, I think if you to answer your actual question after a 15 minute ramble intro. Um, I think if you have to look at one of these, I think the thing that matchup wise is the scariest for me is the running game, right? I think um, Jake Fromm is a fantastic quarterback. He's, he's hyper efficient. Um, I, I think he does a lot of good things and has potential to, to do more things uh, in his career. But I think the fact that they can hand the ball either to DeAndre Swift and actual thousand yard rusher, uh, or Elijah Holyfield, who's just, you know, probably will leave this game as a thousand yard rusher on the season, just shy of it, um, is pretty phenomenal. I think having two guys who who can really, you know, scare you, take it to the house at any given time, and to know that they have some horses in that stable who probably haven't been tested, if, you know, I'm not wishing injury on anyone, but even if Texas does take a running back, you know, out of a game, they have some horses behind them uh, that's probably untapped, but still a lot of talent there. So I think what Georgia wants to do is run the ball to set up Jake Fromm to pass and to hurt you um, that way. And I think they do that as good as any team in the country. And I think if Texas has any chance, it's going to take, you looked at what happened in that OU game where it was an Oklahoma offensive line that dominated a Texas defensive line you're looking at a similar setup. You still have the same kind of um, front three guys with Texas who are going to be taking on some absolute hosses, potentially even a better uh, line. You could argue they're two of probably the top three or four lines in the country that they're playing back to back. Um, But uh, it's going to take something either schematically that Orlando is going to diagnose an income whether they haven't seen or don't expect, or it's going to take kind of a Herculean effort from Nelson Hager Omenahu and kind of especially Wheeler and Johnson getting in there and filling in some of those gaps for sure it's it is going to take Breck Hager's best game not of the season because that wouldn't be hard but probably his career uh just it it's absolutely insane so what when we look we're both stat nerds so when you look at like the S&P ratings it kind of goes into a bunch of different stuff but one of the stats that I always love to look at for a running game when you're evaluating it is the uh, the running opportunity is the stat that it's called. And basically what that means is when the offensive line is able to create five or more yards of space for a running back, um, which basically under this, it's like the line is responsible for the first five and then the running back is responsible for anything six and plus. So on 
51.7%, so more than half of their plays, that Georgia offensive line is able to create five-plus yards of cushion, which is, I believe, top 10 in the country. I don't have the, the spreadsheet pulled up right now, which is just nuts. And this is a Texas defensive line that has struggled to maintain at the point of contact, and it's struggled to kind of reset that offensive line and reset the line of scrimmage, which was such a strong suit for them a year ago. You know, Puna Ford did an incredible job. I take any chance to shout out Puna Ford on the podcast. Um, but that's that to me is the scariest prospect because these guys, the Swift and Holyfield, they are home run hitters if you give them a scene. Now, with that being said, the Texas linebackers are home run hitters if you give them a head of steam. So I think if they're able to stay free, a guy like Malcolm Roach, a guy like Wheeler, a guy like Gary Johnson, if they can fly free, they they are fast enough and athletic enough to cut off angles. They're fast enough and athletic enough to play contain. But if you've got your, your nose tackle doubled and you've got a guard in your face as a linebacker, there's not much you can do about it. But that, that to me is just absolutely terrifying. It, it, the fact that, Whoever they hand the ball off to, it's a guy that's averaging five plus yards a carry, which, which is just just dumb. It's absolutely insane. Uh, and then we we could talk all day about Jake Fromm. I mean, Jake Fromm probably should have been in New York a year ago. Um, he's going to be in New York at some point. I think he's probably only got one more year under his belt. So if he doesn't do it next year, then he'll just you know go to the draft and get paid. But that's neither here nor there. So I think like that Texas is going to have to figure something out. Uh, in the run game, whether, and something we could end, end up seeing them do something they've done a couple of times this season is drop the extra defensive back and throw another linebacker in where they, that's kind of the beauty of this system. And for people that don't like the system, Georgia actually runs the same defensive system that Texas does. So just be okay with that. Um, so what they've done on occasion, I think Kansas State was the one time you probably saw it most prominently, is that rather than you know running the three two six, they drop that um, they drop a defensive back or two and play an extra linebacker or two uh, to match up. Which again, I think that ex- leaves your secondary a wee bit exposed, especially a unit that's been somewhat banged up and much maligned this year, uh, rightfully so, in, in a few spots. If I if I have to really be mean to somebody. Yeah, I mean, so it, it, it's hard to say too, right? Like, I, I would, I would probably argue that, that what they faced last week against Oklahoma was a a better receiving course, not last week, but in their last game was probably a better pound for pound receiving core than what they get in Georgia. But there are some horses on this Georgia line. There's really only, um, I think, one receiver over 500 yards on this whole team, but they have multiple receivers over 400 yards or or over 350 yards. You know, they spread the ball around and they have a lot of guys who can do it. But what I think that says is you don't have a CD lane. You don't have any of these. Look at the Big 12. Literally every team had a guy who could play on Sundays, who you had to think about, who Chris Boyd had to be matched up on. A lot of these Big 12 teams had two of those. I don't know that they're going to see a noticeable talent jump and maybe, maybe just looking at Oklahoma as the most recent example might see a slight, um, you know, a slight talent drop uh, at that position where I feel more comfortable putting that extra guy near the line and letting Chris Boyd and, and Davis and, you know, all these guys who who this is their last game in burn orange and they, you know, want to go out, well, do it, you know, go out and single cover and take, you know, a, a really talented guy like Nicole Hardman, who, you know, is George's leading, leading receiver, a tight end like Isaac Nauta, who, who 
um, are probably their two most dangerous threats. Like take those guys out of the game and make it a, you know, you have to beat us throwing the ball with Jake Fromm, who, you know, has had the benefit of like a Shane Bouchelle with a foreman. When you have, when you have running backs who, who draw the defense in and you get single coverage and you beat them, well, they probably haven't played cornerbacks all year long, you know, as good as at their best Boyd and Davis can be. So I think, I think in that passing game, I feel a little bit more comfortable assuming Texas plays its scheme correctly and plays its best from all those guys who you expect it from. And I, I think schematically they're going to have to dial up some kind of way to get some pressure because yes. if you let Jake Fromm back there and really any quarterback with with eight to 10 seconds in the pocket, they're going to pick you apart because that's just how coverages work. Coverages break down over time and that's no fault to any defensive back. That's a fault to the front for not getting pressure. So I think Todd Orlando probably has a couple of tricks up his sleeve to do yeah. that. But if Texas can execute on it, that's that's really the question mark there. Yeah, and, and I mean, maybe that'll be interesting. Like you said, if, if you if you bring in an extra linebacker, you know, or if you have your guy like a BJ Foster, who's been um, one of our most disruptive forces, you know, as a defensive back making plays behind the line of scrimmage. And if he can do that against a talented team, a big, strong, quick team, like this Georgia team, you know, I, I would be very interested to see not only what her, uh, excuse me, what Orlando comes out with, but what the adjustments at halftime look like, because, you know, Georgia has been, when they're not playing Alabama, pretty good at that, at coming in and taking your punches and, and kind of overcoming it. They won uh, a lot of games big this year. So you didn't necessarily see a lot of their scrapes. This, the, whereas the Longhorns have played a lot of really close games. And so, you're hoping what that means is they're a team that can roll with the punches and Texas has a little bit of advantage in a close game that they know how to come out on top of those, even though there've been some that we wish they could have finished that they didn't, but you hope that all of that really close play for, you know, 40 quarters this year basically pays off at this point that this is what it's for that being in those games leads to this moment and they can pull out what would be truly an upset according to the odds makers. I think it opened at something like 12 and a half and maybe all the way to about 14 now, um, which, again, is the best news that Texas fans sh- could have or should have heard because Tom Herman loves, loves a chip uh, to place on on those shoulders uh, just above the pads there for all of his players. So I, uh, I I think Texas being an underdog is actually the greatest card that they have in the deck. Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's move on um, and look at the Georgia defense because – this is where I think Texas has a little bit of an opportunity uh, to to exploit some matchups as it has all year. So Georgia, again, it's an SEC defense, so they're good. I'm not going to say that they're not. Uh, right. But one of the things that I and I'm working on a, a bit of more in-depth piece for this. You'll see it on BON here in a couple days um, is the Georgia pass defense has gotten beat up over the last five games. Uh, they're averaging, or they've given up like a thousand yards in five games, like almost 11 yards per reception in that mm-hmm. span. Uh, they don't give up a ton of touchdowns with the other, they've only given up seven, and two of those were in the SEC championship game to uh, to Alabama. So uh, they will be without DeAndre Baker, who is their number one defensive yep. back, Thorpe Award winner, uh, which is incredible, and we'll tell you a little bit more why in just a second. So in my mind, and this is, again, what I'm writing about for, for the website, Texas has to play Big 12 offense, which is not what we want to see most Big 12 weeks. But when a Big 12 offense matches up against an SEC defense, generally that goes the way of the Big 12 offense. 
Yeah, I mean, Texas needs to do their best Oklahoma impression, as, as weird as that is to say. Um, they need to to just be electric and explosive and firing on all cylinders, um, you know, I, I, from this from the start against this Georgia team. I mean, we have two receivers who um, I think there's a chance that no matter what happens in this bowl game, either of them could go pro or could come back. We don't know. But we have two receivers that are an absolute problem for any team, and we've said that every week. And it may actually be more true this week against Georgia, especially with DeAndre Baker out, than it has been even against, you know, some of the previous Big 12 secondaries. Uh, They have no one in that secondary uh, who can match up size-wise with Colin Johnson. And as we harped on, the Oklahoma team basically took that to mean, okay, we're going to just tackle you three seconds before the ball comes and see how many times they're willing to call it, which still led to 150-plus receiving yards from Colin Johnson. Um, But, you know, I, I think there's a good chance that, one of, if not both of those guys, just feasts in this game. Like, I think it is a realistic possibility that that our rushing attempts are, are held down a little bit and we kind of come out and really just just fling the ball around. I mean, truly, uh, Alabama had some some success with that. And, in, 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 you know, even even with Tua not at his best, I, you know, I think uh, this is Sam's chance to say, yeah, a quarterback like Tua, a quarterback like Sam Ellinger, there's not that much of a difference. They're both elite at this level, and they can both take what you know what what that defense is going to let them take. And if that's a one-on-one comfort uh, coverage with a guy like Colin Johnson, again, who could who could play in the SEC today and be as talented and as disruptive as he in the, is in the Big Twelve, he could be a top five receiver in the SEC. The just you know the the myth of the SEC talent differential that's so you know unbelievable and so hard to overcome is exactly that a myth i mean colin johnson would be a top probably three receiver in the sec uh even though somehow he wasn't in the big 12 according to voters so my fury about that aside um he has a chance to just absolutely you know set some myths back 10 or 20 years by roasting a a uh a georgia defense that's gonna have trouble putting a six foot guy on him um, and giving up five inches or a five eight guy and giving up tw- six inches, seven inches and jump balls and just just, you know, doing what he did against OU, which is beat guys, taking what they give him single coverage and just taking 40 yards a pop. Yeah. So Baker's backup is a is a six one true freshman. Uh, or yep. redshirt freshman, excuse me. Uh, and the other cornerback is a sophomore. So you got two underclassmen there. But really, like losing Baker changes the way you have to scheme Texas's offense because with Baker what you do is you single cover whoever you think is more dangerous whether it's Colin Johnson or little Jordan Humphrey probably Colin Johnson along the outside and then you bracket cover little Jordan Humphrey and so you make Texas beat you with Sam Ellinger and Devin Duvernay is what you make Texas do Uh, Mm -hmm. but now that that Baker is not playing that strategy goes out the window because now you Mm -hmm. have to figure out how do we defend two wide receivers who would be top 10 wide receivers in our conference with guys that are four inches short, four plus inches shorter than them. Like that's, that is the problem that every team has had all year and nobody's really figured it out. Like usually what happens is one guy has an average game and one guy goes for 120 or one guy goes for 200 and the other guy goes for 80 and it's impressive. (laughs) So like no, nobody's figured it out yet. And I, again, you and I both do not believe in the massive SEC talent uh, differential that people tout. I think fake um, news. I I think some of the 
outside of Alabama and Georgia. I think some of the SEC defensive myth is actually because the offenses are kind of impotent in some ways. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. But that that to me is is the interesting matchup that you get to see is we saw it last year. The Texas offense was able to put it on Missouri. You saw it in the college football playoff last year where Oklahoma was basically a defensive stop away from beating Georgia. Like mm-hmm. that to me is is emblematic of what if Texas does it right, what they can do against the Georgia defense. Because Sam Ellinger, when he's on in 100 percent, is a top tier quarterback. Colin Johnson, and Lil Jordan Humphrey are two of the best receivers in the country full stop at least talent-wise, production, whatever, we can argue draft stock, whatever, um, we'll, we'll argue that later on. But they're, they're two of the most talented receivers that you're going to see. And what I honestly would imagine happens Texas offensive-wise is they pass to set up the run, where the defense has to soften to compensate for that, and then you let Trey Watson and Keontae Ingram pick up four and a half yards of carry. And four and a half yards three times, is 13 and a half yards. So you eat up the clock. So like that to me would be the ideal strategy. If Texas could execute on an ideal strategy, that would be it in my mind. Yeah. And I mean, I think you can't overlook the fact Georgia's defense gave up you know, less than 20 points a game, but you have to look at it, right? Sure. Austin P scored zero points on them, but that may could be a, you know, hip bar in the Austin area that, you know, serves drinks and also, plays dodgeball. You know, that couldn't, that may not even be a school. No one knows. South Carolina, who's garbage. Um, they're a top 25 team, but they're garbage. Like, hear that. Hear me say that. That's my hot SEC take. Put up 17 on them. Middle Tennessee State, which my brother, you know, played when when he was at the University of North Texas and, and you know, put a hurting on. Like, they're not, okay. Uh, Missouri, who, you know, could either be the worst team in the country or a very average team, depending on which week. They won some games based on that. Tennessee, who was terrible most of the year. Uh, Vanderbilt, who's not a very good team. I think they're currently probably about to lose to Baylor in a bowl. Um, haven't checked in just a minute. LSU, who needs at least seven overtimes to score more than 20 points, uh, somehow put up 36 on them. Joe Burrow would be the ninth best quarterback in the Big 12, and I'm very confident about that. Um, Florida, who, fine, Florida's a pretty good team. Kentucky, they're a terrible, terrible team at passing the football. They're great at running, and they have a pretty good defense. Auburn, who would have been the absolute worst offense in the Big 12, I have no doubt about that. There's weeks they struggled to get 50 yards. They're terrible on offense. UMass put up almost 30 points on them. And Georgia Tech, who's not a great Georgia Tech team, put up 21 points on them. That's not a murderer's row for this defense. I think that's the thing where the SEC bias, which is one of the strongest things that exists in the world today, inflates how good this team is. Georgia's offense is phenomenal. Georgia's defense, very good. But Texas offense is going to be, after Alabama, probably the second best that they played this season. So Alabama put 35 points on them. Can Texas put 35 points on this Georgia defense? I feel pretty confident that they can get pretty close to that. So that will be the game, I think. I think, like you said, their, their offense is going to do some good things because they have a lot of horses, and Texas defense has been up and down. I could see this being 35 being the threshold. If Texas can get to 35 and pass it, they can win this game. If they can't get to 35 and they let Georgia get to 35, I could see them losing a, a you know a 28-35 or a you know, 24-35. And, and, hey, good showing. Georgia's a really good team. But, and I, and I don't say their schedule is taking anything away from Georgia, Texas is probably the second 
if you really want to insult Texas and inflate everyone else, at worst, the third best team that Georgia has played all year. So I think, I think it's, you know, it's going to be a, a bigger test than the betting lines would lead you to believe. I would say they're probably third. LSU's, LSU's a pretty good team. Uh, LSU's defense is unbelievably elite. Joe Burrow is one of the worst quarterbacks. That showed me that A&M's vaunted defense is the most overrated thing I've seen in my entire life because they let Joe Burrow, who once averaged like – he was like four games through the season at like 37% completion percentage. He is garbage. Like, again, he is one of – if the the last 15 years of the Big 12 – He's not in the top half of quarterbacks. The dude is terrible. They let that, you know, like LSU's defense, again, don't hear me wrong, absolutely elite, very, very, very good. But their offense is garbage. So I I just – they're a very good team. I I would have loved to see an LSU-Texas bowl game. I would have felt much more confident that Texas would go out and whoop that hiney. I just think, you know, I I think Georgia – you could have – you could have had the SEC where Texas was in it instead of A&M, and Texas would have slotted in in that third-best SEC team, you know, right behind Alabama. And, and you know, I'm going to give Georgia the edge here, but not by not by as much as it's being made out to be. That's all I'm saying. I'm just curious how many margaritas you had at dinner tonight. That's the real question for me, Kyle. Oh, no whiskey only. But uh, <laughs> whiskey, yeah. f- Whiskey-fueled hot takes – on today's preview. But no, I'm I'm in a similar boat. Like I I think this is going to be similar to what you see when uh OU and Alabama play where the OU offense is just really stinking good and the Alabama, the OU defense is really stinking bad and so Alabama can move mm-hmm. the ball at will. And I'm not saying the Texas defense is really stinking bad. What I'm saying is that the Georgia offense matches up really well with the Texas defense. The Georgia offense yeah. ha- is a f- is a favorable matchup to the Texas defense just based upon what they do and what Texas struggles at. And so I think the Georgia offense will do a decent job at moving the ball. I just I think they will. But I also think that the Texas uh, offense is going to do a good job at moving the ball. I really think that they'll be able to move the ball in the passing game at will and really put some points up, put some yards up against a a Georgia defense that's missing their top pass defender. Now, that being said, because nobody on the Georgia team can make a play if their name isn't DeAndre, something that worries me really defensively from the the uh, from the <laughs> Georgia defense is DeAndre Walker, who is just an absolute madman. Seven and a half sacks, 11 tackles for loss. That scares mm-hmm. the crap out of me. 15 quarterback hurries this year. Like, that's the guy to watch. That, another again, another DeAndre. DeAndre Walker against, uh, against Calvin Anderson or Cosme, whichever side uh, that he mm-hmm. lines up on. On, that's going to be for me the the offensive matchup to watch because if you know Anderson or Cosme is able to at least just push that guy out of the way long enough for Sam to make a read and throw, Texas does okay. If DeAndre Walker beats them like he's done all year to a lot of people, it's going to be a long day for the Texas offense. Yeah, this will be the truest test of that Texas offensive line that we've talked all year about the strides they've made in the same way that. You know, Georgia hasn't necessarily played elite offenses all year. Texas hasn't necessarily played elite defenses all year. There have been some good linemen individuals, but this Georgia team and and, and with him specifically um, is going to be a test. Um, It it is not going to be a case of Sam having 15 seconds to sit back and pick a defense apart. Um, This is really going to tell a lot of things about the progression of Sam's ultimate decision making. I know we didn't throw a lot of interceptions, but 
Um, you know, when he had some pressure on him in, in the OU game, there was a couple of times we said on this podcast, we wanted him to make a couple different decisions and play the more mature sophomore looking like a junior than, you know, the sophomore who had some freshman moments. So I think, you know, this offensive line, this is where they earn their money. You know, we've talked so much and there's, there's some seniors, there's some talent, some guys who've been there a long time, but about the progression they've made in this year, uh, how they handle that, that Georgia front seven, um, both running and passing the ball, because even though we haven't talked a lot about it and you kind of mentioned passing to set up the run, I haven't really talked about it at all. I do think that you're going to have to have some semblance of balance because Kirby smart and that Georgia, even though their defensive coordinator left to take the uh, the Colorado job, I haven't heard if he's going to coach in this bowl game or not. I, that may just be me. But um, even though there's some, you know, obvious some things on their defense that are a little bit um, different, you know, some shakeup in that sense of a coach leaving, Kirby Smart is too good. That defense is too well coached to, you know, if you're showing them one look to not eventually figure it out. So there is going to be some parity, and a huge, huge part of that is going to be a Texas offensive line. Now they're not going to create 51% uh, running opportunities like that stat that just floored me that you said earlier about the Georgia offensive line, but they're going to have to create something. Well, and I, and I think, and I said it earlier, if Texas is able to catch a couple big ones in the passing game, I think that Georgia defense softens. If yes. you can, if you can hit Colin Johnson on a sideline where he's, where somebody's given up six inches and you're like, Hey, I'm just going to chunk this one up there and you're going to do what you've done for 13 games to this point. Or again, little jo- like I've been a Colin Johnson guy my entire life. I say my entire life for the three years he's been on campus. Uh, <laughs> but what, but the matchup issues that little Jordan Humphrey creates in the slot is really what makes this, this offense go because he's too big for a nickelback and he's too fast for a linebacker. And so that to me is an interesting opportunity as well. I mean, if you're going to look at fast linebackers, Georgia is one of the teams to look at, but I think regardless of the team, regardless of the talent level, he's, he's a running back who's playing wide receiver currently. So like, Again, if if Ellinger can find a way to crack off a couple of big passes, whether it's he finally hits that that uh, go route from the other from the third receiver down the middle, uh, that Ugh. would be that would be great. But again, if you can force the safeties in the corners to back off, I'm going to take a, a three on or five on five matchup any day of the week. Like that's that's what I expect to see Texas to try to do offensively to keep that balance. If they've been uh, waiting all year, the Ropa Duvernay, uh, Ropa doping them into, you know, oh, we can't hit that. We keep overthrowing him. Oh, no, what's going to happen? And then they just execute like three of those for long touchdowns. I am going to be absolutely ecstatic. I will take my shirt off and run through the block. You heard it here first. Um, I pray that we sit here and talk about our two big time receivers and leave out Devin Duvernay at our own peril and that that is the thing that ends up winning us the sugar bowl against Georgia. That would be the sweetest, sweetest thing uh, of my entire life. And I would be happy to come in here and talk about, you know, how I, I missed the, uh, missed the mark on that one and, and, and didn't call it. So I am going to go ahead and preemptively call it, but that might, uh, that might happen. I hope it does. God, I hope it does. So here's the real question. Does Sam hit 
the Duvernay poster out or the tight end play action poster out? Which one does he finally hit this game? Because both of those are generally oh, yeah. open and overthrown. As I say, there's about eight touchdowns this season that were just left on the board by missing yep. those. Um, I, you know, I, we didn't say a word about that tight end position. And it, it's also Beck's, you know, last game as a captain, um, a guy who could just have something in the tank and something to prove. And, I, I you know, we, we talked about, I think, it was the Kansas State game, the pregame, where he just solidified himself as a mean, <laughs> nasty Texas player. Like, that's the type of stuff, those types of performances where a guy's just – comes in nasty and beats his man because he it's his last game and because he wants to and he doesn't like being told that they shouldn't even be on the same field as these guys like it's those types of players and those types of performances that could ultimately make this uh you know an all-time upset for texas to win and and you know i think that's a good a good bet here if you want to if you want to take it i'm gonna bet it's duvernay because i I want that to happen so badly Uh, i'm gonna bet duvernay connects on on one big uh, one big seam touchdown. I think they go to it early. Like if I'm if I'm gonna pod Stradamus it, which I'm not. Like I think they go to it early because they're going to roll coverage to Texas's two big names, and Devin Duvernay is just too fast for you to single cover. It's like I yeah. think they go to that play early. I think we see it on. Uh, probably the first series, if not the first series, for sure the second series. Like I would be surprised if we don't see Duvernay going down, uh, running a uh, running a post route there. So Kyle, I, I guess it's the time where we have to do our Potsdamus predictions for for this game. So uh, you know, what is your, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's your what's your Potsdamus prediction? Uh, your Texas key to victory that we're going to lock in. My Potsdamus pick is that one of Texas's two big receivers. Whether it's whether it's Lil Jordan or whether it's Colin, one of them will have more receiving yards than the highest two receivers for Georgia. Whichever their two highest receivers are, one of our big, and I'm not going to say which it is because I got to keep some cards close to the chest, will have more than their two highest combined. So if their tight end goes off for 60 and Hardman goes off for 53, whatever that math is, then I'm saying. Colin Johnson slash LGH goes off for 161. You heard it here first. It's going to be a big game from the big dogs. All right. So my Podstradamus prediction is I think the guy we haven't talked about a ton today, Samuel Ellinger. I think Sam Ellinger goes three and one. I think Sam Ellinger passes for three and rushes for one. I think that's that's what's going to happen. I think that that um, fifth touchdown that Texas is going to need to win is going to be like a red zone punch in from Lil Jordan Humphrey, maybe at a Wildcat or a Danny Young in a short yardage package. But I think that like it has been all year, if Sam Ellinger balls out, then Texas has a shot. And I think Sam Ellinger is if we talk about you hear coaches talk about guys you want in your foxhole and Ellinger is a foxhole guy. Like you give, I've, if we're in a trench in world war one and I've got Sam Ellinger and a bayonet, we're winning. Like that's, that's <laughs> where we're at. <laughs> like that, that's just how it feels. And so I think Ellinger is going to ball out. I think he's going to have one of his best games of the season. So I'm locking it in three uh, passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown for Sam Ellinger in this game. I love that. I think Sam's feet could be a, a huge part of this. I think, uh, since Tim Tebow, the SEC has not seen a backside and a momentum that comes from it this immense. 
they're back with us for one more week in 2018. My bookie is with us. So they offer an incredible product and there has never literally been a better time to try them out unless your sports book is offering you a 50% bonus on your initial deposit. You're losing money. You've got to make the switch. I've never heard of one doing it like this. They're trustworthy. They're fast. They're helpful. They are good for it. So if you're new to sports betting and have a lot of questions, that's okay because they've got a patient customer service group that is willing to walk you through any questions that you have about how betting works in particular. So sign up this week and they will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It is a great way to bank even more money when you win. So log on to my bookie right now and use the promo code Longhorn to get a 50% deposit bonus. That's right, promo code Longhorn. So you if you play, you win, you get paid at my bookie. So a little bit of news today. We got some interesting uh, football news coming out, but we'll start uh, with uh, kind of the big news. We did our signing day uh, recap. You know, there was uh, some things in the works for the arena. Crystal Conti said on Longhorn Network that he didn't want to announce the arena news because uh, it would take away from the signing day coverage. And we all speculated, OK, what does that mean? Why is that? And what, how cryptic can you get? And then the next day they announced plans for, if correct me if I'm wrong, $350 million arena right smack dab. Uh, not going to call it in the middle of campus, but close to where the current stadiums and athletic facilities are. Currently at zero cost to the taxpayers and students, which is the big deal there. So secured funding which is just insane. So Texas is getting a new basketball arena. One of the things that I think has been missing for quite some time. Uh, We've also got a new minister of culture for said basketball arena in Matthew McConaughey. So Kyle, what do you think the shift of the basketball arena on campus closer to where students live within walking distance, not having to cross major streets? Like what is that going to do for Texas basketball and the brand that they're trying to build currently? So this may be a weird thing if you don't follow basketball closely and and maybe if you just listen to it, it seems counterintuitive, but the biggest and I think most important part of this new arena is actually that it holds less than that. The the Irwin Center holds, you know, 16.5 or so for basketball games. Um, This is going to hold about 10,000. So you're you're making it a more intimate, intimate environment and you think about Kind of these legendary college facilities, or you know, the, the Fog Allen Fieldhouse in, in Kansas. Um, you think uh, of, of the Cameron Crazies up at Duke. Um, these are tiny in comparison, even to the new uh, arena that we're building. They're much, much smaller. Smaller isn't necessarily a bad thing in basketball. We've talked on this podcast a lot um, about how incredible the experience of going to. Uh, Gregory for a volleyball game is and hearing, you know, it reverberate off the walls when, when, you know, not a 20,000 person crowd, but a rabid 2000 or whatever it is, uh, cheer out point Texas. Yeah. Um, cheer out point Texas. You know, it's, it's a, there's something about that intimate, but engaged that does something. I mean, it, it was the Christmas break, but in this last Texas basketball game, they, they made an announcement over the PA for fans who are in the upper deck to come on down to the lower deck, which is like, is certainly a little bit embarrassing. You know, even when we were the number one team in the country under Rick Barnes a few years ago, it wasn't sold out. When, when we were in school and, you know, a guy like Kevin Durant, who, you know, is a once in a lifetime talent to see, it wasn't guaranteed every game that it was sold out. There were certainly some, the Aggie game, the big games that were sold out, but it wasn't a guarantee every game. So it, 
there was never really going to be a, a time when that would be the culture. So I think making it smaller and, and then at that point going the, you know, the second step of, of even though it's smaller, you still need to get 10,000 kids in there, which is a bump up is getting students engaged and wanting to buy in. And I think that's where, you know, we laugh at it, but the idea of McConaughey and making it cool and making it an event and helping, you know, even when there's that, that overlap between football and basketball season uh, and students clearly choose football um, kind of selling this all in the newness of it and, and then giving the product on the court. I think there is a chance that this can be a kind of a, a game changing program changing um, moment. If, if Texas and, and there all indications indicate that Del Conte gets that uh, the athletic department at, at large gets that the basketball staff gets that, that they need to use this and let these events converge to create something, you know, bigger than, than what it is now. And I think there's a chance that just having this, um, really does something big for a program that probably deserves to be exponentially more respected, followed and, and revered. For sure. And I think the moving it closer to where students actually live is huge because one of the biggest issues I know when you and I were in school was the fact that you gotta, you gotta walk a pretty, pretty decent distance to get there. Um, anytime I had to walk to the Irwin center, I was annoyed Um so putting it basically right next to where the soccer fields are, where, you know, they hold Texas Relays and all that is a big deal. And I think shrinking the size of the, the arena is absolutely awesome. I think 10,000 may still be a little on the big side, like you said, uh, but helping create an environment because that's been, and you'll hear me say this a lot, like that's the missing link for Texas. I think it's hard for a player to go out and really feel like I'm playing at home and I can play well if there's 18 people in the arena. Like, if on TV, the balloons in the upper deck rubbing together are louder than the crowd. Like, that's that's not a good look for any athlete. They're not going to perform at their peak. Now, Texas does need to put consistently a better product on the court, and we'll talk about that briefly in just a second. I'm I'm still, I, I'm like waffling on, on Shaka. I've got feelings. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Um, but it Getting Texas in a better environment, granted it's going to be another two years until this thing opens up, but getting Texas in a better environment will continue the momentum that's starting to build around campus. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I think it's important to remember this is a men's and women's basketball arena. I'm excited to see the women play there. Again, that's our number 13 currently ranked women's basketball team. I think Coach uh, Karen Aston is doing a fantastic job with that program. I think, you know, as long as both of these teams are in the right, you know, in two years are trending in the right way um, that I want to, you know, encourage fans to go out at any chance you get to see the new facility and support both of those teams and create that environment for both men's and women's basketball. Absolutely. Speaking of men's basketball, they had another tough loss at home. They lost to Providence, uh, which was a weird and ugly game. Like if Texas hits any of the open threes that they miss, this game looks completely different. And that's the struggle with the team currently is like, is it coach? Like it's execution, but when does the lack of execution fall into an indictment of the coaching is, is the conversation I think you could start having at this point. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't think Shaka is, is in the hot seat. I hate that, that terminology because I think it's hard to say, I think it's hard to say what the expectations at UT for the basketball team are. Um, he continues to recruit elite talent and he continues to um, win big games. You know, I think the the teams that you beat, your North Carolinas and, and you know, teams like that, 
tell you that the talent is there when it's all engaged. And that's what kind of frustrates you when you look at the coaching and say, why can't you do that every week? Why does it seem to be that the small teams, even though games you win against like a UL Monroe, look bad and we look unprepared and unready? Um, and you need that big team to get up for. Like, if we're truly an elite program, shouldn't we be able to go out and just not that Providence is a bad team? They're a Ken Palm, I think, top 50, uh, at least top 60 program. I mean, they're not terrible, but they certainly should not be beating Texas um, at, you know, in any given interval, right? That should be a, a once in a lifetime type thing for a couple of these teams. We've had a multiple once in a lifetime wins against Texas for some of these smaller uh, programs this year, which is, which is tough to swallow. So I'm not ready to say, Hey Shaka, you got to prove it or you're out of here. I don't think that's right. Um, But there is a point where it's like, Hey, what is it that's causing this not to work? What is it that on the nights when your shots go in, you can beat anyone you're unbeatable. Um, Why does it happen so frequently that they don't like are you relying too much on that for your offense? I mean, it, it, it's tough to sit here and answer those questions because it really looks like a Jekyll and Hyde type situation with this team, which is where the frustration comes from. Yeah, and the it's just it's hard to judge what's going on because like a year ago, part of it was you know the unfortunate Andrew Jones thing. Like you don't expect mm-hmm. a, a cornerstone piece of your team, a a potential NBA draft guy, to miss most of the year uh, dealing with with cancer treatment. So it's 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 hard to get a good barometer on this Texas team and, and what it can be capable of because the freshmen and the young guys are insanely mm-hmm. good, and I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see them. Uh, but knock down an open shot is really all I can – like that's my Seriously. one piece of, of criticism there. Uh, so the women's basketball team, you said you said it already, number 13 in the nation. They've had one final non-conference game against Northwestern State before starting Big 12 play against the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Austin, so we'll update you on that after the bowl game. A little bit of recruiting news. So our last time we were with you was a National Signing Day recap, and we talked about Texas still being in the hunt for some guys out there, including Isaiah Hookfin. Well, Isaiah Hookfin did decide that he would uh, commit to and sign with the Texas Longhorns, giving them their second offensive tackle of the class, opposite of Tyler Johnson, a guy who I absolutely cannot get enough of. And then that same weekend, Jordan Whittington, the former five-star, should still be a five-star wide receiver Mm -hmm. for Cuero, puts on an absolute show, goes nationally viral, and wins his team a 5A, I believe, state championship. So, recruiting's looking good. Texas still has some room to maneuver the signing period. Uh, the the actual signing period it used to be national signing day in February is approaching. So Texas has got some big pieces, but a little bit of work still left to do. Yeah, I mean, and Jordan Wynn is a guy, I remember asking both Westcott and uh, Cody when we had him on, like, who is a guy who you feel like people aren't talking about? And Cody actually said it. He said, well, you know, people know what Jordan Whittington is and whatever. But I, I truly think that this was an eye-opening experience for a lot of guys. He was one of those players who committed very early on. And we talked about Jake Smith, who's a guy I'm really excited for, the Gatorade player, they're all that. Um, the other receivers in this class, we have some big names, some big talent. We obviously have a guy like Brew McCoy on the board. Uh, but I kept what I kept telling people when I said on this podcast is I felt like Jordan Whittington was a guy who got overlooked. And I, I think it's going to be very – uh, very hard to to overlook a guy who has 377 all-purpose yards. Um, also throws in with a six touchdown and 11 tackles, taking home not only the offensive, but the defensive MVP in a state championship game. Um, just 
being by no stretch of, of exaggeration to say the best player on the field by, you know, leaps and bounds. He, he just, no one was close to him. Um, and that got people excited. Like I said, he was a national uh, trending topic on Twitter. He, he broke all records, Eric Dickerson's um, record. He broke uh, Jonathan Gray's kind of record, like all, all these big names in the state of Texas. Uh, and he kind of did it as a guy who wasn't used to being a running back with the ball in his hands. The, the coaches just kind of made what I think was a very shrewd move of like, let's run the play where we give it to Whittington first and just let him do things. And it worked out very well. So um, regardless to say, I think he's going to be one of the best players in, in this class. And, and as soon as he's ready to make that step up, whether it's freshman year or red shirts, or, you know, just works his way in that whatever he does, he's going to have a special, uh, special career here on the 40 acres and has the potential to be, to be a great one. I need to go back and watch that game because my gut feeling says he took more snaps at quarterback than their actual quarterback. I got that yes. wildcat package. I didn't count them, I, but my gut tells me that he took more. You're right. It felt that way for sure. Yeah. So last little bit of news. It's some weird news. So uh, there were some rumors, some some smoke that a couple of Texas quarterbacks were looking at exploring their options and entering into the transfer portal. Well, on the same day, we found out who it was. Uh, it was not a name we expected. Uh, both Casey Thompson and Cam Rising have entered their name into the NCAA transfer portal. Before we jump into this, let's have a brief discussion about what the transfer portal is. It is a new tool that is designed to basically give athletes a way to put their name out there, engage interest without having to actually become a transfer so they can put their name out there see what nibbles they get and then make a decision on whether or not they do actually want to transfer so with that being said putting your name in the transfer portal does not mean you are transferring transferring you're simply just changing your facebook relationship status to it's complicated so that's what the transfer portal is it's a brand new thing and this is going to be a very annoying story for the foreseeable future so anywho casey thompson cam rising both in the transfer portal we probably honestly expected shane bouchelle's name to be the first one in there but that'll be another conversation for another day so both of them are with the team in new orleans prepared and preparing to play so does this what what do you feel about this like yeah do you think they're both gone do you think one's gonna stay one's gonna go like what's your read on this situation purely based on gut and speculation because that's basically what we do here i love your you know changing it to it's complicated on facebook status if they start sending thirst traps um you know looking uh looking scandalously over their shoulder and tag you know Oklahoma football in it, then I'll really be worried. Um, what what I'll say is is yeah, both of these guys are, are Texas Longhorns until we hear otherwise. The transfer portal is a new tool, and, and you know I actually talked to a source close to the program who who said that they are taking this very seriously, um, and they want both of these guys to remain on the team. They have high hopes and big plans for both of these guys, um, but they uh, they they see this as the portal being kind of a new thing, and they there's there's a kind of a feeling around the. The program that once all the bowl games go, you're going to see this kind of flooded as, as players are testing this out, as they're figuring out what this is, you're going to see a lot of uh, players in various positions around the country kind of go in here that probably will be on their team, um, you know, come fall next year. Um, and also just personally, I think that, you know, this is a position quarterback that we've seen this at Texas before. You see it at every school. Um, these are kids who, you know, are, are, quarterbacks there's a reason we talk about quarterbacks in this way they're gods in high school they're the best they are these unbelievable athletes if they get this far in their career and it's humbling 
to come in and sit on the bench for some time because you think no one's ever done what you do better than you do it. And then a guy like Sam Ellinger takes a hold of it and not only wrestles it away from Bouchelle, but kind of says no one else is going to touch. This is my ball. It's understandable if a kid thinks that he's got the talent to do it and, and wanted that opportunity and feels like he may not get it as soon as he could elsewhere that he might do that. And I think there's going to be hard feelings if one of um, these guys does it. I truly my gut tells me I don't think both of these guys uh, are, are gone. Um, I, I think, you know, some combination of, of course, Ellinger. Um, I'm feeling much more confident that there could be a Bichelle back this year, and that might have some indication about these as well. And then one of, of these two um, are, are on the ro- uh, roster next year to go with Roshan. Um, and, and, of course, any future recruits uh, we, we get at that point. So I don't think this is, an, you know, a reason for people to be overly alarmed. I think this is probably a part of the process, but like I said, I also don't think that either of these guys are gone. I don't think that it means that, you know, both of these guys or there could, there is some scenario that plays out that they're both on the 40 acres next year and, and looking forward for this Texas program. For sure. And, and I think that's like the, like patience is the thing that I want to like, just, just express here because when push comes to shove, like, the Texas quarterback room is going to be okay because Texas has a solidified starter. Now, obviously, you want a capable and competent backup. If Shane Bouchelle stays, then Texas has that. If Shane Bouchelle goes and one of these freshmen go, they still have that because they'll have a guy and then they'll have Roshan. My, like like you said, my gut is that one of them ends up staying, I think, um, we we both talked about we're both Cam Rising fans and we will be Cam Rising fans wherever he lands. I think the guy is an insane talent. I think he's going to be end up being an NFL quarterback, whether or not he's a starter. But I do think he'll he has a career at the next level. He could have you know the, the Colt McCoy Garrett Gilbert career, or he could be. But the guy's talented. Um, he's insanely talented. I think Casey Thompson is an incredible scheme fit for this offense. I think he does everything that they want to see out of a quarterback. That's why they recruited a guy like Roshan Johnson, who does it just as good as Casey Thompson, if not better, depending on who you ask. So I do think one of these guys ends up staying. I think the Texas quarterback room stays somewhere between three and four scholarship quarterbacks. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if two of them, uh, two of the, two of the backups being, being Bouchelle, rising and and thompson i wouldn't blame them and i'll talk a little bit more about that in my bang the drum because i'm going to talk quite a bit about this thing uh in just a moment so that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports big bertha and we bang the drum presented by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week you know, I was actually going to bang the drum as an addendum to last week. We kind of had a lot of episodes. We've been banging a lot of drums here. Um, and I kind of gave the Mike Dixon one, and I felt a little bad that I, I left out that Adrian Phillips also uh, made the Pro Bowl for the, for that Chargers team, which is which is incredible. Um, I, I think he, he's kind of been an unsung hero on that defense. He was a guy at Texas who his career didn't pan out probably like we hoped. He had a, a fine career, but, you know, I don't know that anyone saw him leave and said that's the next Earl Thomas. He's going to be great at the next level. So he's a really, really good feel-good story. I'm excited that he's sticking, and I feel bad um, that I missed him. So I'm, I'm go ahead and, and, and take that. But I, I also um, wanted, to, wanted to give one other quick bang the drum just because I found it so – inherently and and incredibly interesting um so i'm going to spin this back a little we talked texas georgia so the last time that these two played you you may be familiar with this uh it was in the 1984 cotton bowl um texas came in ranked number two team in the country georgia uh, i believe is number six um 
seven, somewhere in that range. Um, and it had national championship implications, uh, especially because both number one and number four uh, lost. Um, there was a fantastic game that year that the Bernie Kosar led Miami team actually uh, ended up beating Nebraska in this incredible, I think it was 31 30 shootout that kind of launched Miami. It was their first national championship as the team uh, of the eighties. It kind of turned them into this powerhouse program, changing the face of college football, the kind of implications of it. That doesn't necessarily happen if Texas doesn't muff a punt. So if you butterfly effect this and take it back, to the last time that these two teams met, uh, Texas was up uh, nine to three in a, in a defensive, you know, incredibly fun, I'm sure, to watch game um, with a few minutes left. Uh, they think that George is going to fake this punt. So they pull their regular punt returner, his name Jitter, uh, which is just a great but also terrifying name for a guy whose job is to be sure-handed and catch punts. They pull Jitter out and put Curry in, and, 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 and Mr. Curry was there to kind of be an extra defensive back. He wasn't a regular punt returner. And that showed when Georgia ultimately punted it, he muffed it. Georgia recovers, uh, quarterback scampers for, for a 30-yard touchdown, and, and Georgia goes up 10-9, to ultimately being the, the final score um, and, and costing Texas the championship. Georgia ended up number four that year, Texas number five, um, and, and Miami wins the national championship. So it's kind of crazy. If we were the Aggies, we'd probably claim that as a national championship because we were close. Um, but it's crazy to think the last time these two met, the impact that it probably had ultimately on college football was pretty revolutionary. So um, I'm not saying when Sam Ellinger, you know, comes out and, and invents some new form of offense where he puts the ball between his giant, beautiful thighs and runs, you know, down the field where you cannot strip it from him nor tackle him because he has both hands to stiff arm and, and, and changes the game of football. I'm not saying for sure that's going to happen, but whatever happens in this game, who knows, maybe it could change the shape and end uh, some kind of SEC bias legacy or whatever it is, but it has the potential to have long lasting impact on the greater sport. There's way too much to unpack there, like way too much. <laughs> so I'm just going to let it be, and we're going to leave that one uh, for posterior, I mean posterity. Uh, so my bang the drum this week is back on that quarterback room. So um, I'm not going to name a publication or a writer, but there's been some articles lately about, that are pressing the Texas quarterback panic button after the the rising in Thompson news, where Texas quarterbacks are in shambles, blah, 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 blah. They need to go after grad transfer. So there was one particular article, one particular list that um, just kind of jumped out at me because the number one and number two guys on the list of grad transfer quarterbacks that Texas should go after uh, were Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts. And... That, to me, is just absolutely ridiculous on several reasons. One, the reason why Cam Rising and Casey Thompson are exploring their transfer options is because Sam Ellinger has a Stevie Ray Vaughan stranglehold on this spot. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. And so, why would Jalen Hurts or Justin Field transfer to Texas with a guy who is the starter? Like, Sam Ellinger is the starter. He's going to go into camp as the starter. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't know if at this point, either of those guys is an upgrade from what we know about Sam Ellinger. Yeah. Like, Jalen Hurts 
won a national championship with Alabama, but it wasn't because Jalen Hurts was killing it. Jalen Hurts was great, but Alabama won that national championship on their defense, and Jalen Hurts did enough to move the ball. We haven't seen Justin Fields play in an NCAA football game. Now, granted, I, I say that he's gotten, I think he's gotten some stats. I'm not sure. I didn't do any research on this. This is all from the heart. Um, but he, he hasn't played meaningful minutes at this level. So, yes, he was a highly touted player out of high school. Yes, he was a huge pickup for Georgia. But what we know about Sam Ellinger and his ability to move the ball in this Texas offense, I don't see the need for the panic button quite yet. Now, if all three of the backup quarterbacks on campus transfer, then yes, push the panic button. Everything's on fire. Let's figure this out. But like we said before, I do not believe that it's time to push the panic button yet. I firmly believe that one or two of the quarterbacks are going to stay on the 40 acres and go ahead and finish out that career. So I'm, I'm one there's no reason for a guy who's trying to transfer for a starting job to come to Texas to have to compete with a guy that the coaches and fans all love. It just seems absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, neither of those two guys are, are people you're saying, oh, wow, I would hate to have them on our program uh, on campus. But they're, they're guys that, that their priority is clearly looking for a spot where they can come in and take the job. And, and I think, you know, as we've said, we have come a long way on Sam Ellinger and we fully expect him before he leaves the 40 acres to insert his name into the Heisman race, just like, you know, a, a Tua, who's, who's the guy obviously keeping um, one out of the Heisman, out, or excuse me, out of, out of the picture and is in the Heisman race. And then from uh, the other who we've talked a little bit about keeping Justin Fields. So, I mean, I, I think you're, you're spot on. You have a Ted Nugent stranglehold on your uh, opinion on this, uh, on this topic. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just to, to tell you that fields did have 39, uh, 39 pass attempts this year, which comes out, you know, to a couple of game, but they also won a few games by like 40 points. So I bet he expected to get a little more than that. Was did, did I go for the wrong guitarist? Did I, you did, you did, go, you did go Stevie Ray, which is the Austin pick. Um, but the Nuge is is the stranglehold. There may be a deep cut Stevie Ray Vaughan, but when I think stranglehold, I think I think the Nuge. So that that is that that may be a slight minor stat boy correction for you there. That for sure. Yeah, I I have personal feelings about Ted Nugent, but we'll we'll talk <laughs> about that off air. So that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find uh, the Texas pregamer also at Texas Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. If you have some feedback for us, hit us up with hashtag replies of Texas so we know you sent it. We'd love to hear from you. And again, you can always shoot us an email at longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook em. Hook em. Yes, this is overrated. Yeah.